You will bear a son and you will call him Jesus. And God will give this Jesus the throne of his ancestor David. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So the angel Gabriel tells the young Mary in today's gospel lesson. He will be given the throne of his ancestor David. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, soon enough this promise to Jesus grows from a baby to a man. And no sooner has he begun his public ministry than he begins to announce this very thing. That in him the kingdom of God is at hand. It was an audacious claim. And while everyone looking on, including even his own disciples, anticipated him proving this by quite literally assuming the throne of their ancestor David, Jesus instead continued to demonstrate the kingdom's arrival in a far less evident fashion. By doing things like healing the sick, and feeding the hungry, and welcoming the outcast, and brokering peace. Over and over and over again throughout the gospel, Jesus does such things. And all the while, the disciples are thinking to themselves, this is great and all, but when is he actually going to restore the kingdom? It's not that they disapproved of what Jesus was doing. They just didn't see the connection between what Jesus was doing and the establishment of his kingdom. They saw no continuity between those things. I mean, he had said the kingdom is at hand. And so they quite naturally wondered... When will this kingdom then take shape? Well, their hopes for that kingdom never did, in fact, take shape. At least, not the shape that they were anticipating. For a year later, hanging on a Roman cross, all the hopes that they had for him and for his kingdom died right there beside him. Just another would-be Messiah struck down by the power of Rome. And so that idea of the kingdom understand, which is to say the idea of Jesus on a literal throne of their ancestor David, that idea then was over, done. Later, though, after his resurrection from the dead, some of his followers began to form a new idea about his kingdom. Perhaps they had it all wrong, some of these followers began to believe. Perhaps Jesus had never been planning to overtake Rome and to assume a literal here and now throne. 
Perhaps instead, Jesus had all the while been inaugurating his kingdom through those simple acts of service and goodness and light that he'd been daily performing. And perhaps in Jesus and with Jesus, God was pulling those acts of light through the darkness of death and out the other side into an entirely new creation, into an all-new reality. Perhaps that's what Jesus had meant some of these began to believe when he said, the kingdom is at hand. It was a remarkable thought. One that soon enough seized the hearts and the imaginations of thousands. And then millions Until eventually, all these years later, some 2.4 billion among us believe it. Yes, this we believe that his kingdom has already been inaugurated here among us and that somehow it includes the work that we do here now in Jesus' name. Yes, this we have come to believe, but still we wait for it to take its final shape. And as we do, we lean on prophetic poetry to help us imagine the shape it will take. We speak of things like wolves lying down with lambs and of swords being melded into gardening tools and of justice and peace embracing like lovers and of righteousness flowing like a mighty stream. And all of this poetic imagining is good and it's wonderful and it's helpful, no doubt. But the point of this sermon today is to help us to remember that this coming kingdom, that this kingdom that is taking shape even now through the acts of goodness and service and light done in the name and in the way of Christ Jesus, the point of this sermon is to help us to remember that the shape of this coming kingdom is not reducible to these acts or to these visions or to our limited conception of them despite how beautiful that conception is. It's so much more He will reign forever and of his kingdom there will be no end, we confess. Yes, but let us understand that when we say this, we scarcely even know what we are saying. Because the reality that awaits us, though continuous with our present reality, is nonetheless far greater than we on this side of that eternal tomorrow can even begin to imagine. In the classic book, Flatland, a book in which the characters are all shapes, there is a scene in which a square, which is to say a shape who has always existed in a two-dimensional reality, there's a scene in which a square dreams about a reality with only one dimension. And in his dream, he, the square, that is he who is two-dimensional, in the dream he tries to reveal to these various one-dimensional shapes, which is to say to these lines, 
The square tries to reveal to these lines the aspects of himself that make him two-dimensional. But they, of course, can't see it. Because they are limited by their present one-dimensional capacities. Bound, that is, within a one-dimensional framework of reality. Well, then, the novel, The Square, wakes up from his dream, and while reflecting on it, he soon is surprised by a sudden visit from another land and by another shape. That shape being a sphere. Which is to say, he was visited by a shape from a three-dimensional reality whose fullness he cannot comprehend. For all he, the square, can see of the sphere is a circle. Which is to say he can only perceive two dimensions of what is really a three-dimensional shape. Are you following all of this? Now I won't belabor the plot of this fascinating little book. But suffice it to say that eventually the square... Though he can't himself actually see this third dimension, nonetheless comes to trust in this third dimension's reality, recognizing that this hidden dimension is continuous with the circle that he can see, but that it is somehow far richer and greater and different than that circle still. And in fact, through this belief, and that which he can't see or fully comprehend, the square then goes on to suggest to the sphere that perhaps there is such a thing as a fourth dimension. A dimension that neither of them, given their limitations, can see or entirely comprehend because it's outside the bounds of both of their capacities. Yes, Flatland. It's a fascinating little book. And it's a fascinating concept to ponder. And I bring it all up this morning simply so as to say this. When we speak of the risen Jesus high and lifted up, sitting on an eternal throne, executing wise and loving judgment over a soon-to-be-realized kingdom of light, this more sophisticated picture we have is not less than the idea of a human Jesus sitting on an actual throne like those first disciples thought it would be in their somewhat one-dimensional way. Just as when we speak of a kingdom in which the risen Jesus eventuates a state of affairs with peace and justice and righteousness in hearing forevermore, this more sophisticated picture of ours is not less than a reality wherein hungry mouths are fed and where wolves lie down with lambs and where weapons are ground down into gardening tools as we and our two-dimensional capacities can best perceive such a thing. It's not less than that. But the larger point to be remembered here is that while it's not less than these things, it is far greater than these things still. Eyes have not seen nor have ears heard the glory that awaits those who are in Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul says. That. 
the as yet unfathomable shape of the coming kingdom of God, that is what this final Advent sermon implores us to remember. As we prepare to sing tonight of the Christ who was born in Bethlehem, and as we prepare to make room in our hearts and in our imaginations for His kingdom and its eternal reign, might we likewise remember that as great as the story is, and as great as the hope is, these are but a piece of the greatness that surrounds it and envelops it. Eyes have not seen, nor have ears heard, the glory that awaits. Yes, in the same humble amazement as that square who placed his faith in a dimension that he could not see and who from there reasoned the existence of a dimension even greater than that still, let us in such humble amazement ourselves reflect this day upon the Jesus to be born in Bethlehem and let us reflect upon his kingdom of which there will be no end. And might such imaginings dazzle us with hope and might they fill our hearts with love for the one who was at work shaping it all together even now. Glory to God in the highest indeed. Gloria in excelsis Deo and all God's people said. <laughs>